Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, based in Los Angeles, California. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. I'm Alan Alda, and this is Clear and Vivid, conversations about connecting and communicating. You know, my Amazon Echo, the smart speaker, was basically talking to Amazon every three minutes, just sending a ping to Amazon. Even when we weren't using it, um, even when it was muted, it's still sending data back and forth to the company. My TV was reporting what we were watching. My my robot vacuum um, was sending information back to the company. And the company has actually talked about how useful that data could be. Um, they said, you know, we have basically maps of people's homes. We could tell, you know, a furniture company that they lack a coffee table and you could start targeting them with coffee table ads. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think about what kind of data you can get about people if you're in their homes, seeing what they're doing day to day, because everything we have is connected to the internet. That's New York Times reporter Kashmir Hill. She writes about how the technology that makes our lives easier is also eroding our privacy. And what makes her reporting especially engaging is that she writes about her own experiences, experiences that are both amusing and scary. This is so good to be talking with you because you are such a good communicator and you write about tech, but it's not just interesting to people who are techies and geeks like me, but to everyone, because I I think your secret is you live your stories, don't you? I do like to put myself inside the kind of uh, tech worlds to come. And I feel like I'm reporting back from... From the other world. A slight slight (laughs) dystopian future. (laughs) Yeah, that's the thing. You've experienced dystopian things and about this brave new world that's coming or in many cases already here and we don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I think Technology brings so many benefits to our lives, but there are definite downsides and the tech companies don't tend to think about those as much um, as maybe they should. They keep putting out products with the promise that it's going to make our lives better. And and yet when in actual use, it sometimes has the opposite effect. For instance, the, the article you wrote, because <laughs> the headline was really ear-catching. I tracked my husband's every move. Was that it? I used Apple AirTags, Tile, and a GPS tracker to watch my husband's every move. You can't resist an article like that. So the the Apple Tag is a little device. I've never seen one. It's, it's is it is it larger than a quarter? I'm trying to see if I have one right here that I can show to you. It is it is very small. I don't have one on my desk, but it is about, it's about quarter sized. It's white. It just like, it looks like a little disc that should be part of a game. Um, 
And, and it can be part of a tracking game. Yeah, I mean, people get them slipped into their overcoats without knowing it, right? And then get get stalked. Yeah, I decided to do the story because in December, I reported out a story with my colleague, Ryan Mack, about um, women mostly who were reporting on social media that they were finding these hidden behind the license plate of their car, put in a purse, um, a, uh, after our story came out, actually a model found it in the coat, um, in the pocket of her coat after she went out to a bar in Manhattan. Mm. And so I wanted to just get a sense of what is it, what is it like to actually track somebody using one of these? And will that person be able to find it? Because Apple was saying they had built in protections to try to prevent nefarious uses. And so luckily I have a very, um, um, a very wonderful husband who was willing to take part in the experiment. But he had some objections to it that it sounded like you hadn't faced before you put the thing in his pocket, which was, the idea that you, while you knew where he was at every moment, it could be easily misinterpreted and was by, I think, uh, somebody in your family who said, well, look, he went into that shop. What's he doing in there? Yeah, it was, you know, when, when I first proposed the experiment, he said, you know, I'll do it, but it's going to be very boring because we're in a <laughs> pandemic. You know, it's winter. We, you know, we barely leave the house. We drop off our daughter at preschool. Um, we go to the grocery store. We are definitely a bit boring right now in our movements. But there was this one day that he had to go into the city, into Manhattan and Brooklyn um, for the day for work. And that day, an editor at the Times actually suggested we send a photographer to secretly follow him around. And so I had, you know, even, even more trackers on him that day. I had my <laughs> digital ones and a human one. <laughs> and it was funny because the photographer kept calling me and texting me, you know, basically asking for intel on what he was doing. And, you know, at one point he, he thought that uh, my husband's name is Trevor. He thought Trevor had made him, that Trevor knew he was being followed because he'd gone into the subway and then he had doubled back really quickly and, and you know, basically was the, trying to the elude obvious them. Move, the obvious move to shake a trailer. <laughs> and I said, you know, my husband's very unobservant. I'm sure he has not seen you and that he's probably lost. So why did he double back out of the subway? So it turned out, and this happens a lot, um, he loses things a lot. He had left his mask in the restaurant that morning where he had been having coffee, and he realized he couldn't go into the subway without his mask. And so he's doubling back to go either get his mask from the restaurant or buy a new one. At one point, we thought he was in a fancy club, um, uh, but in fact, he was in the food court beneath the club eating a taco. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, he was going from place to place, and we did a map of where he he went when he was in New York. And my sister said, you know, what are you doing? Why are you visiting so many different places? Are you a drug dealer? And he said, no, I was going around looking at office spaces with my colleague because we're thinking about moving the office. Um, and I had no idea. I could not figure this out looking at the data, even though I had digital trackers on him and had a person following him. And so he wrote his, his own version of this story, where he said, look, like even with all this information, you're surveilling somebody so closely, it's still hard to figure out what they're doing. And he pointed to this amazing investigation that the New York Times had done after a drone strike. 
where we killed somebody because we thought he was basically making deliveries to terrorists, but he was actually an aid worker who was taking water and supplies and colleagues around. And we killed him and members of his family, the U.S. government, uh, because we misinterpreted the data. And that's just a really dangerous part of this new world we live in, where it is possible to collect so much data about people, which in and of itself is a danger, but also the possibility that you misinterpret that data. Um, a kind of an, an example I think of a lot is targeted advertising, mm. where data brokers figure out that a woman is pregnant and they will collect all this information. Then they start targeting her with ads for, you know, baby products, baby formula. Eventually, when they determine the baby would be one, you know, baby clothes. And a lot of women have miscarriages. And so they'll correctly, you know, determine that a woman is pregnant. But then they don't realize that she's miscarried. And they keep targeting her with her ads, which can be very painful depending on, you know, sure. where that woman is emotionally. One of the other things that you did that you lived through was you smartened up your house to make it a, a technologically smart house. <laughs> I, yes, um, I wanted to figure out kind of what the privacy sacrifices are when you start inviting all of these gadgets and devices into your home that are supposed to make it more convenient. Um, and so I had a smart, I had a smart mattress cover that was tracking how we slept. A uh, smart mattress. <laughs> it would give you a sleep score in the morning, in the morning. I don't think there's anything worse. You already had a bad night's sleep. And then to have your bed tell you, you got a, you failed, you got a poor <laughs> sleep score. It just made it even worse. What are you supposed to do about it if you have a bad night sleep? Well, yes, mattress had, I mean, it was all, it was crazy wired up. It had like a microphone and it could tell you if there's sounds in the night that are disturbing you. It could tell the temperature, it might tell you, you know, you're getting restless when the room gets too cold or too hot. I don't know. It did not tell me anything helpful. <laughs> what, what other devices in your house were t telling on you? Well, smart TV, which almost everyone has nowadays, it's hard not to buy a TV that's not connected to the internet. I had a smart toothbrush, which was Bluetooth connected, that was Wait, supposed the, to give the, me feedback about my brushing. But the toothbrush was telling the company things about your brushing? Yeah, well, that is a crazy thing. So we had set up this router that we are sending all the devices. We're kind of talking to it. And so we could see the information that they were sending back to the companies. And they were sending out so much data about me. Um, sometimes we could tell what they were saying and sometimes we couldn't because it would be sent encrypted. Um, but, you know, my Amazon, we had an Amazon Echo, the smart speaker, and it was basically talking to Amazon every three minutes, just sending a ping to Amazon. Even when we weren't using it, um, even when it was muted, it's still sending data back and forth huh. to the company. My TV was reporting what we were watching um, to data brokers. Uh, my, my robot vacuum um, was sending information back to the company. And the company has actually talked about how useful that data could be. Um, they said, you know, we have basically maps of people's homes. We could tell, you know, a furniture company that they lack a coffee table and you oh, can start targeting wow. them with coffee table ads. Oh. I mean, it's kind of crazy when you think about what kind of data you can get about people if you're in their homes. Um, you know, seeing what they're doing day to day 
it's the same kind of tracking you know, we've done on computers, on smartphones, but it's starting to move into all the products we have because everything we have is connected to the internet. I remember a story you told where you uh, had trouble getting, as smart as it was, you had trouble getting it to make coffee for you. <laughs> yeah, I had a smart coffee maker and I was kind of excited about this because the proposal was, you know, we could be in bed in the morning and then we could tell Alexa, because we had an Alexa right next to our bed, of course, when I smartened my home up, we could be like, oh, hey, Alexa, make coffee for us. Um but it had this this kind of horrible prompt you had to do. I can't remember it now because it's been a couple of years, but it was something like, hey, you know, specific product item, can you please start the process of making the coffee? I don't know. And you have to, you have to remember a script every, every morning as you wake up. You had to remember exactly. And so I'd wake up, you know, needing coffee, not quite... Um, <laughs> not quite ready to say the script. And so every morning I'd be like screaming at the Alexa to please make us coffee. <laughs> and Alexa would be saying, I don't understand. Like, what do you want me to do? Coffee, coffee. And literally, we lived in a one bedroom apartment in San Francisco. My husband's like, I'm just going to get up and go push the button. And I'd be like, no, no, we have to do it the smart way. <laughs> <laughs> my poor husband, I put him through so much for my journalism. <laughs> so you had a lot of smart objects in your house. Did you get sick of any of them and, and want to really get rid of it? Yeah. So after the smart home story, I said to my editor, oh, I just want to get away from the internet as much as possible. I just want to be in the real world and um, ended up coming up with this series I called Goodbye Big Five, where I tried to cut the big tech giants, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Apple out of my life entirely, um, which I had to work with a technologist who, who helped me identify when I was interacting with them. Oftentimes you're, you're interacting with Google and you have no idea because it's happening in the background of another site. And so, yeah, it was this very difficult experiment where uh, by the end of it, I was using an old flip phone, a Nokia phone uh, that, that had snake on it for people that remember that early phone technology. Um, I was paying for things in cash. And um, yeah, it was it was really fascinating how much of the internet I couldn't use when I was giving up the big tech giants because they just kind of control the infrastructure of the internet world. And so if you give up Google or Amazon, um, you're just giving up a huge part of the web um, because they control so many different technology companies now and so many other technology companies um, um, are dependent on them for providing resources. So how uh, long did that last? It went on. So I did each tech giant on their own, like one week without Amazon, one week without Facebook, Google, et cetera. And then in the last week, I gave them all up. So it was a six-week experiment. <laughs> and it meant my my poor daughter, um, when you give up the big tech giants, it means you basically can't watch um, streaming television anymore. And so she was very disappointed. She couldn't watch the the movies that she liked then. Um, cause Netflix, even though they're a competitor of Amazon, they at the time were depending on AWS, Amazon's immense, um, kind of cloud, uh, service. They uh, used their competitor to host their content. I see. 
You lived on Bitcoin for a while? I lived on Bitcoin. Did you actually buy everything you needed using Bitcoin? I actually did this. This was back in 2013. Bitcoin was worth $90. I, if I'd kept all the Bitcoin from then, I could have retired already, uh, (laughs) given what's happened with the price since. But yeah, it was like a silly, it was a silly experiment. I I gave up cash. I gave up my credit cards. I had, I I can't remember what my budget was, maybe five Bitcoin for the week. Um, And I had to survive initially on cupcakes and sushi because they were the (laughs) only two restaurants that were accepting Bitcoin. Um, and I couldn't find coffee anywhere. So I was so caffeine deprived. I had to borrow a bike from somebody. I paid him 0.5 Bitcoin at the time to borrow his bike for the week. And I lost, so I lost five pounds because I just like wasn't eating, wasn't drinking coffee, riding my bike everywhere. Uh, but it was so fascinating again, because of the people around it. I just met all these these Bitcoin enthusiasts back then who were, there were economists who were kind of fascinated by just the creation of a new monetary system. There were the entrepreneurs who thought Bitcoin's going to be big. I'm going to make so much money off of this. I was skeptical of them, but they have so far turned out to be right. And then there were some real anarchists who, you know, just saw Bitcoin as this monetary system outside of government control um, that they were really enthusiastic about. And I had this big sushi dinner um, because I had Bitcoin left over at the end of the week. uh, And I just invited everybody to come. And it was this like, uh, it was this very interesting and amazing collection of people who showed up at the sushi restaurant, kind of like more than I expected. It ended up being quite a large tab at the end of it. and uh, I, I actually called the person who owned the sushi restaurant recently, and I asked, "Hey!" And I found out he retired because he because kept he his saved Bitcoin. your Bitcoin, kept kept your bitcoins, and now he's got millions. <laughs> He retired on it and he says, I wish I'd kept more. I sold some. I I should have held it. But it was just like kind of wonderful to see that he um, you know, had 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 made it big on Bitcoin. Um but yeah, it was a it was a fun experiment and it's been pretty wild to see how Bitcoin has blown up since. I still don't think that there's I don't I mean, I don't really see a kind of use of Bitcoin. I think the underlying technology is is very useful and very interesting. Um, but that in it, in and of itself, it just feels like gambling to me that it's just uh, speculative and there's not real value there. So I worry that people are going to invest in it and lose money on it. When we come back from our break, Kashmir Hill takes us inside more of her adventures in technology including how she hacked into several smart homes, how she created a fake business that scored positive reviews on Yelp and Facebook, and even how she became an invisible girlfriend. This program is sponsored by the Kavli Foundation, dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. The Foundation's mission is to stimulate scientific research in astrophysics, theoretical physics, nanoscience, and neuroscience, to strengthen the relationship between science and society, and to honor scientific discoveries with the Kavli Prize. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney Bundle with new movies and series. 
On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. This is Clear and Vivid, and now back to my conversation with New York Times reporter Kashmir Hill. We picked up with one of her major scoops, reporting on what was then a little-known company that has now made it almost impossible for anyone to remain anonymous. Tell me about Clearview AI. That was a very interesting story you did, where they're collecting images of billions of people. Yeah, so Clearview AI is a New York-based startup. Um, it's a pretty small company, uh, and they came up with a pretty radical idea to scrape billions of photos. I think they have over 10 billion photos now from the public internet of people and apply facial recognition technologies, uh, technology to those photos, um, so that you can take a photo of somebody and find other photos of them online which is a pretty easy way to figure out who somebody is. Um, and also is kind of, I, I've had the app used on me and sometimes I'll just find photos of myself that I didn't know were on the internet that, that I didn't post that somebody else had, had put up mm. where I'm in the background of someone else's photo or in a crowd. Um, and so it's kind of um, norm changing in terms of making anybody identifiable but also kind of can, can potentially bring up photos of yourself that you just didn't know were there. Um, and right now it's only sold to law enforcement. Do you have an idea of how many law enforcement people are using it? I know that thousands of agencies have tried it. I don't know how many are paying for it, but it has been tried. Um, you know, it's been used by the federal government. Um, the FBI has a contract now. Um, the Air Force is working on, has given them a contract to develop augmented reality glasses that could identify people, you know, in real time while you're wearing them. Um, so it has definitely been widely used, but it has been very controversial. Outside of the United States, um, countries have declared it illegal. Um, mm. Canada, Australia, the UK, France, Italy have all said that you can't do this without people's consent. Um, and the UK and Italy have both fined the company, you know, over $20 million. Um, but in the US, uh, it's so far uh, run into very little in the way of obstacles. On the one hand, when you see surveillance camera, you think, well, that's going to cut down on crime. But when you combine it with this kind of ability to not only know the name of the person, but maybe even more information, if it's posted on the web, addresses, friends of that person. And the, the big fear for me is if, if the country is run by authoritarian administrators, then that's a check on dissent. Yes, this is um, 
I mean, it's a powerful tool. It could be useful. I can imagine many ways in in which it's useful. I mean, I've talked to police officers who have solved heinous crimes using Clearview's technology. But also when you think about powerful governments, you know, China um, and Russia both have uh, equivalent products, um, you know, very advanced facial recognition technology. They, as as I understand it, have it deployed pretty widely Um, in Hong Kong when there were protests against um, kind of China's increasing mainland power in Hong Kong. Protesters there were painting over facial recognition cameras because they said that they were being used to identify them so that they could be, you know, arrested another time. When you think about governments that, you know, don't want to deal with that kind of dissent, it's, it's, it's scary. I mean, it, it does make it much scarier to go out in the street and protest against policies that you think are wrong, that you think are unfair if you have to worry about the fact that any photo of your face can lead back to consequences for you in your daily life, it just will change the calculus for how it is that we disagree with the powerful. Especially if what you're complaining about is using this technology. (laughs) It's self-reinforcing. You've done some other Interesting stories, some of which I don't even understand by the category. You you hacked a smart home. <laughs> oh man, this is um yeah. So I <laughs> I did I did technically well I didn't technically hack the smart home. Um, I well I guess it depends on who was prosecuting the case, but <laughs> who was living there at the time? <laughs> there was a there was a company that provided. Uh, kind of smart lights, smart electricity, so that, you know, if you, let's say it was your winter home and not somewhere you went very often, it was an easy way to, you're on your way up, you can turn on the lights, you can get the hot tub turned on, et cetera. But they had configured their security poorly so that if it was on the internet, it was accessible to anybody um, who had basically the link to that person's home. And so I was interviewing some security researchers who had discovered this vulnerability. And I said, is this something I could do? And they said, yes, all you have to do is Google this combination of terms. And yeah, I found people whose homes, you know, the lighting systems, uh, et cetera, were, were online. And I was able to track down who owned some of the homes. And I called them for permission. And I said, you know, I think your home's exposed to the internet and I can turn your lights on and off, your TV's on and off. And oh, but you pe- missed a great opportunity. You could have gaslighted them, <laughs> turning the lights on and off. <laughs> I definitely could have been like a modern poltergeist. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember the first guy I called, he was like, oh, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> and then the and lights I, went off. And then I said, well, can I try? And he said, yeah, sure. And so I did, you know, I pushed one of the buttons and he gasped and he was like, <gasps> and I go, oh, did it work? And he goes, no. And he hung up and he was, <laughs> he was like a smart home consultant who told people oh. how to do this. So I think he did not want to be on the record as having a vulnerable home. But the next guy I called who was in Oregon, he was, I did it. And he's like, oh, golly gee, you're right. I'm going to have to fix that. Um, but yeah, that is, I mean, this is this is definitely part of this more connected world where we're letting these devices into our home. This has been a big problem with baby monitors and baby cameras that they're just not 
uh, securely designed and hackers have, this happened a couple of years ago, they were just breaking into these and talking to kids and oh. yelling obscenities at them, just kind of creating that possibility of the worst, uh, the worst kind of people talking to your kids. So what can be done by a person who's house is getting too smart for its own pants. What can you do? And and does it depend on each device? Do you have to know how to protect each device? I don't think it should be up to individuals. Like that's too hard a job. Um, I'm not responsible for making sure my car is safe uh, (laughs) because I don't know how it works. Um, I think there needs to be more just pressure on the companies. And I I think there has been. Um, I, I, I think that generally consumer technology is kind of getting more secure. Um, but that the, yeah, the pressure needs to come from the government um, and that you as an individual shouldn't be expected to, uh, you know, che- you know, check the code on this camera that you bought to, to protect your front door um, to make sure that it's not going to be hacked. I, I don't think that the, the, the normal consumer is capable of that. All right, here's one I need to ask you about. You created a fake business <laughs> and then you bought a fake reputation for it. Is that, is that, can you do that? How do, how do you do yeah. that? <laughs> so I called it the Freaking Awesome Karaoke Express um, because <laughs> the acronym, the acronym was fake and uh. it was like a food truck that would bring karaoke to your, you know, your, your outdoor company party. And I did this because I wanted to explore the world of fake reviews and fake reputation. Cause I think about this every time I'm buying something online, I'm buying something on Amazon or elsewhere and I'm looking at the reviews and I'm just thinking how many of these are real and how many of these are fake. Yeah. Um, and so I created this fake business and went on some of the forums that exist to buy kind of positive reviews, buy likes, buy Twitter followers. And I spent a very small amount of money. I can't remember now. It was like $100 maybe. Um, and I bought reviews, pretty authentic looking Yelp reviews, um, hmm. Google reviews, Facebook reviews, people saying that they had hired my non-existent truck. One guy <laughs> took photos for me with you know my company's sign. I mean, it all looked very authentic, so authentic that I started to get calls from people who wanted to book my fake truck to come uh. to their parties. I created a burner number and I started getting voicemails and I, and then I felt bad. I was like, Oh, they're going to be like counting on this service. I'm going to have to shut this down. Um, but yeah, well, instead it was, of that, you could have bought a truck. <laughs> I could have just done the business. Yeah. It's, it's a, it is a good idea. I, w- I would use it. That's how, how I came up with it. I thought it was a good idea. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's all these people now because we do, we rely on reviews um, that make a lot of money creating fake reputations. Um, all right. Now, here's one. You worked as a crowdsourced girlfriend. What does that even mean? <laughs> so there was an app um, called, uh, what was the, the name of it? Invisible Girlfriend um, or Invisible Boyfriend, depending on the gender you preferred. Uh, it, it debuted around Valentine's Day a couple of years back. Um, and it was basically 
uh, you could create a person that you could text with uh, in, in case you wanted to convince your family you had a partner or if you're just a little lonely and you could give it a name. You could say how you met, get, you know, choose the, choose your partner's personality. And when people first heard about the app, they assumed it was powered by artificial intelligence, but then they started talking to it and it just sounded so human. And eventually the company revealed, yes, we, we hired crowdsourced workers. And so I heard about this and I thought, man, what would it be like to work for that app and be talking to these people? And so I went on the the crowdsource site and um, basically signed up to work for them. And it was very weird. Um, you would you would find out what your name was, what your kind of meet cute story was, what your personality type was. And then you got paid a very small amount. I think it was something like uh, five cents per message to respond to people's messages. And you would see the last 10 messages that had been exchanged. Um, but so you, I, you, would the character be played by several people? Yes. It oh, was an wow. assortment of people so that it's were like playing a, this So it's like part. an improv game where you have to act a little bit yeah, to be exactly. the character. So I talked to other people on the service and they said, yeah, like I don't make any money from this, but it's the most fun job to do because it's <laughs> actually interesting. Like most of the work that you do on those sites is pretty mind numbing. Um, did, you get thought, any, did you get any interesting proposals? Well, I mean, it was fascinating to see how people were using it. There was, there was, a, there was somebody who said that she was a teen girl who was telling her invisible boyfriend that she was pregnant. And I was just wondering, you know, is she rehearsing this? Mm. Like she actually has a boyfriend or is this just made up? Yeah, it was, I mean, people were using it in very serious ways. After I did that story, I actually talked to somebody who had, you know, had an invisible girlfriend for a few months. He was disabled um, and spent a lot of time online. And he said he really like became very attached to this girlfriend and it was a real source of emotional comfort to him for a while. Um, you know, there's a lot of very lonely people out there. It's like, it's oddly enough, in a way, a theme of our whole conversation. Things that used to just be things are now smart and have personalities. I mean, talking to your keyboard as though there's a real person at the other end, even though there's a horde of other people at the other end. Yeah, I've been, it's been, I've been looking a lot at the history of artificial intelligence because I'm working on this book about facial recognition technology and how we got to this point where it now works so very well. Um, and, you know, it's, artificial intelligence has come so far. It can do so many things now. If you have enough data, you can just feed it in and, you know, you can create this software that can recognize anyone's face or our voice prints um, or gait analysis, the way that we walk. Mm. But where so far it's falling short is actually being us, having, you know, a sense of humor, um, the kind of uh, emotional rapport that you want from a partner. AI is not there yet, but, you know, there's there are many people who believe that it could be, Um and then, you know, if that happened, if that should, I don't know, I'm, I'm skeptical of that. I like to think that our human brains are unique in, in some way that cannot be replicated by, uh, you know, silicon and transistors. Uh, but there's certainly a large camp who believe that that's possible and that we're all kind of heading there with everything that we're doing in technology. 
if it ever is possible, I just hope that they don't get to work on my life or the lives of other real people. Let them come up with their decisions and then tuck them away somewhere. <laughs> this has been such a fascinating conversation to me. And, and um, as I said in the beginning, because you lived these experiences, you have human stories to tell. You're smart and you're real. Two good things to be. Oh, thank you. We always end our show with seven quick questions. Are you game? I'm They're game. Roughly, roughly about communication. First one is, what do you wish you really understood? Oh, man, what do I wish I really understood? Um, what drives bad actors? Mm. Oh, you mean one kind of bad actor, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> Bad actors, like uh, criminals. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> Not. <laughs> How do you tell someone they have their facts wrong? Oh gosh, um, I. Oh man, I'm not good at this. I'm like too blunt. I'll, I'll just say, like, I think you're incorrect about that. Well, the I think softens it. That's that's not yeah, so blunt. Yeah, try to keep it. What's the strangest question anyone has ever asked you? The strangest? The one that comes to mind? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> I was in Egypt. Um, I was on a boat. Um, cross, I was like on the Nile. And this guy sits down next to me and he said, uh, What's your name? Are you American? How many men have you slept with? It was the third question, and I just was floored. It was definitely the strangest question I'd ever been asked. Did he wait for answers to the first two, or was he just <laughs> yes, plunging he kinda, ahead like, to the third? Yes, he was leading me along, and I said, <laughs> I wish I had that ballsiness in my journalistic interviews. I usually try to softball <laughs> a little longer. <laughs> okay, next one. How do you stop a compulsive talker? I love, I let people talk. Um, I feel like it's the heart of journalism if you just let people tell their story um, and give them the time to do it. But eventually I will try to redirect them if it's going on too long. Okay. Let's say you're sitting at a dinner table next to someone you don't know. How do you start up a genuine conversation with that person? Hmm. Usually, how do you know the people here? Finding out what the community is. Understanding uh -huh. people's community is 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 how you go deep very quickly, I think. What gives you confidence? Knowing everything about something. <laughs> well, that would give me confidence if I ever could achieve that. <laughs> yeah, well, in journalism, I know, I know I'm ready to write the story when I'm calling the experts and I know what they're going to say. Uh, then yeah. I say, oh, I know this well now. Yeah, yeah, I know this good. well enough to write it. Good. Okay, last question. What book changed your life? What book changed my life? Um, probably science fiction. Um, yeah, I'm going to just say the science fiction genre in general, like Octavia Butler, William Gibson, Ted Chiang. These are the books that make me think about what's possible um, and what I need to watch out for in terms of technological trends. So I think just my love of science fiction in general that captures your writing for me what what i need to know about what what i need to watch out for and i'm so glad to have met you because you 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 tell wonderful stories 
Thank you so much for having me on. I'm um, honored. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And thank your husband for me. Okay. This has been Clear and Vivid. At least I hope so. My thanks to the Kavli Foundation for sponsoring this episode. The Kavli Foundation is dedicated to advancing science for the benefit of humanity. Kashmir Hill is a technology reporter for the New York Times specializing in privacy issues. You can catch up with her on the Times website and also at muckrack.com, where you'll learn that she's named after the Led Zeppelin song. And you can find her on Twitter, at Cash Hill. This episode was edited and produced by our executive producer, Graham Chedd, with help from our associate producer, Gene Chimay. Our publicist is Sarah Hill. Our researcher is Elizabeth Ohini, and the sound engineer is Erica Huang. The music is courtesy of the Stefan Koenig Trio. You can subscribe to our podcast for free at Apple, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. Our next episode of Clear and Vivid is a little different. In anticipation of this year's Kavli Prizes, which are awarded for breakthrough research in neuroscience, nanoscience, and astrophysics, we're featuring two previous Kavli laureates. The first is Mike Brown, an astronomer who's best known for being, as he puts it, the man who killed Pluto, downgrading it from its status as the ninth planet to a dwarf planet. And he's now hot on the trail of a possible new ninth planet. We have seen very clear evidence of a really large planet out beyond Neptune. And out beyond Neptune means something like 15 times further away. Really big means six or seven times the mass of the Earth. So huge, the fifth largest planet in our solar system. And we have figured out that it's there. And we're now doing the the very slow process of scanning the sky, looking for it. I don't know where exactly in the sky it is. I know areas in the sky in which to look, but I don't know when will that one day we'll be crossing that one spot and suddenly say, oh, there it is. Um, So maybe today, I'll, I'll go look later today and see if we found it. The second Kavli laureate we're honoring is the remarkable Millie Dresselhaus, who's also known as the Queen of Carbon. Millie died in 2017, but she's been vividly brought to life in a new book by her biographer, Maya Weinstock. Here's a clip of Millie herself talking about how she pioneered the field of carbon research. At the time I, I entered the carbon field, there was less than maybe five papers per year published and that most of them were mine. And nobody was interested in the field. People thought it was too complicated, no applications. It was like that for really quite a long time. Hunting planets and pioneering new science and new technologies, next time on Clear and Vivid. For more details about Clear and Vivid and to sign up for my newsletter, please visit alanalda.com. And you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Clear and Vivid. And I'm on Twitter at Alan Alda. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.
I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Everything's changing so fast these days, and that's a great thing. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load on our desktop computer. But now, there's the Xfinity 10G network. That means the fastest internet, with faster speeds rolling out every day. and internet that can power a house full of devices at once with ultra low lag. So while one person streams a movie from their room, another can play video games in the basement, while another TikToks in the kitchen. It's the next generation 10G network, only from Xfinity. The future starts now. Restrictions apply, actual speeds vary and not guaranteed.